morning on this bowl of question crunch unholy rosaries is here to talk about their gorgeously satanic artwork answering questions about their history with making jewelry spooky art shows and pocket altars for saint nick <laughs> So prior to starting a recording, we were talking about soup. And I know I, I said we might bring that up later in the conversation, but I really want to talk about soup right now. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> the weather is just perfect. I'm looking outside and I see the gray, the gray clouds. And you mentioned that it was soup weather, that you're going to make soup. And I, I got really excited because, you know what? I can, go, I can go make soup. I might go make soup. I don't know. We'll see. Or buy soup. We'll find out. Or pho. <laughs> I might go get pho. Oh, fuzz, like a king of soups for sure. What soup are you planning on making? Um, So I'm going to make like a creamy chicken, like gnocchi sort of deal. Um, I save like a bazillion like recipes off of TikTok. And I'm just I want to start making my way through them because I just I just haven't had time to actually try something new in a while. And that soup has just been calling my name because it's kind of like it's one of those busy mom meals. And I'm like, great. I don't got to like hand make every single thing. I can use a couple prepackaged things, but still, you know, chop my own veggies and, you know, heat them in olive oil. And it's a little bit it still feels like a homemade soup, but I don't have to go through like a crazy amount of prep. Is, is TikTok good for finding recipes? Very good. Very good. Um, the algorithm will basically give you all of the videos that you like tend to watch. So if you sit there and sit all the way through like a recipe video that you really like, you like it, maybe you comment on it. It's just going to feed you all of the recipe videos. And I get a lot of them and I don't I do get a lot that I want to try. I think I have like 96 recipe videos saved now. Now the recipe recipe videos do they give you like the description of what you need or do you have to watch the whole video and write that stuff down? It depends on the creator. Uh, some creators are really good about like giving you exact measurements and the things that they used, how they use them. Um, some people just make like aesthetic cooking videos, so they'll mm -hmm. just uh, they'll just make something and then maybe they'll post a recipe in the uh, comments section or maybe they have a link to their website and sometimes they just straight up don't post a recipe at all and those are the ones I don't tend to go for uh, especially for the people who like flex on how well they can make a steak or this crazy thing that like no person can make because you need like hundreds of dollars of kitchen equipment I'm like ah that's not really my vibe necessarily <laughs> I'm just thinking that that would be really funny to be really into a recipe video. And then they're like, all right, now all you need is this golden geese. And you're like, ah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. 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 Never mind. I guess I'm not making that because all I've got is spoons. Oh, God. Right. Like, I, I also do this to myself because I save, for some reason, I've been really obsessed with Korean recipe videos. So all these, um, this amazing, like, Korean cooking, I'm like, oh, I would love to try that, but it's not like I can just zip out to the store and get gochujang and gochugaru and all of this stuff that I don't normally cook with and is not normally in my pantry. Plus, like, I'm not going to spend all this money on ingredients that I'm not going to use every day. But at the same time, I'm like, oh, that looks so good. Maybe one day. 
maybe one day I will find I will take a trip to LA and go to one of the Korean grocery stores and get all the stuff I need. Maybe one day it'll happen. I, I don't know. Maybe I have too much optimism at this point. <laughs> Speaking of making stuff, mm-hmm. uh, we met via Zoom, and you, uh, I always love when I'm in a Zoom and I see someone working on something because I'm just always a fan of any kind of artistic endeavor, and. I just remember seeing the camera of you with your hands off screen. I'm like, oh, there's something being made. I need to know what that thing is. And it was a pocket altar. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was when I was like making more of those for sure. I haven't made them in a few months now, but I miss making those. They're so fun. Why why haven't you made them in months, if you don't mind me asking? I mean, it could just be lack of resources. I'm not sure. Oh boy. Um, it's a couple of things. The main one being that, um, uh, my job basically kicked it up a notch and I was working, um, more hours, one more hours than I'd signed on for. I said I wanted a part-time and they just slowly increased my hours until I was working full-time every single day. And it's, it's a, much more high intensity job than I was expecting. So I would come home exhausted and it just flopped down and have no energy for pretty much anything. So um, that's why my shop was actually uh, very um, poorly stocked for a very long time. So um, it burned out my creative juices for a good, a good while there too. And I just, I just hadn't made them in a while. Like I even wanted to make some for uh, the last blasphemy, the last craft fair that I did. And I just, I was just cranking out necklaces and bracelets. I was just like, I just got to get my sellers out there. If I have time, I'll make an altar. And I just didn't get to it. Capitalism will do that. Uh, God, we'll we'll yeah. do it on, capitalism will do that on two things I want to comment on. One, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> big businesses will gradually make you work more hours. Mm-hmm. And, they, uh, I always tell people, I'm like, don't do that thing, because if you do that thing, they'll assume that's now your new responsibility and will get mad if you stop doing that thing. So businesses are not the nicest, so don't do not do that thing unless you're paid more to do it. Um, the other thing, oh, after work exhaustion is nuts. <laughs> oh my God, yeah, like, but before when I was working, maybe I think like, 25 to 30 hours a week it was it was not as bad i would i would come home exhausted for sure but i was like you know i can still i can still cook i can still pick up my stuff i can still work on my jewelry for a few hours whatever uh but after that like all my ability to just do basic maintenance flew out the window and i had a really hard time getting back on my feet after that it was so so stressful so I love the pocket uh, altars um, Mm -hmm. because I did grow up on Mighty Max. And so I had the toy of opening it up and having like a small little adventure inside of it. So when you showed me the pocket altar, that is ridiculously inspiring. And I Mm -hmm. think about it mm, quite often. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) It's, It's a lot of times where I'm just like, damn, those are so cool. And they're in the uh, Altoid tins. Yes. Um, And it's absolutely amazing. Uh, Where did the idea of having a pocket altar? All right. So um, I don't know. (laughs) I just realized that I keep on saying this stuff. What is a pocket altar? Oh, pocket (laughs) altar. Right. Should actually get to the basics first. All right. So a pocket altar is just a miniature portable shrine. And um, 
it can it can be for any religion basically so usually there is an icon that the shrine is dedicated to and um occasionally they'll come with like a little a little something extra right um so my pocket altars happen to be satanic because you know that's how we do things over here on this on this side of spirituality or whatever spoiler alert yeah <laughs> exactly uh so mine are you know very you're classic definitely not the satanic. first you're definitely not the first satanist that's been on this podcast but <laughs> <laughs> awesome okay but yeah, um, that's the stuff that inspires me. So I may I make them satanic, and of course I'm in the satanic community. So I knew, I knew there was probably like a desire for this kind of thing. Uh, so the the idea comes from Catholicism, of course, because all of my work is very inspired by Catholic art, imagery, aesthetic, all of that good stuff, because that was the tradition I grew up in. Um, you know, my mom is um, comes from a very Catholic family, very, you know, rigid, like a lot of decorum, a lot of emphasis on, you know, um, I like I like it's funny because there's a lot of biblical um, text about not using idolatry and not not have forming your um, beliefs around idols. But I think there's like a very human compulsion to make a thing and then focus your worship around the thing or the iconography um and catholics are very good at that very very good at that you know we've got our saints we've got our angels we've got um s sacred imagery like the sacred heart um all this wonderful stuff well i mean in terms of aesthetic and then you know the dogma is something something else you know i could talk on for ages about that anyways no feel catholics free to talk on it i love this oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I don't want to get too sidetracked on it. So if I get back to that, I will. Um, but Catholics are very good at like making uh, stuff for worship. And there's like a lot of stuff that they um, that they make for like portable worship. So um, I, I remember looking for I, I'd already had this idea for the shrines because I knew that there were Catholics who made like the Altoids tins, the pocket shrines. And of, of course they do, because um, I actually used to find them in um, um, in Mexico. There are a lot of vendors who make them by hand out of like found materials. Um, then there are like the nicer ones that you can find in gift shops. Um, like maybe maybe it's just like a little coin with a prayer card. Or I would I even my grandma had these lovely handmade ones that were literally like cloth sewn around little cardboard backings. So it's like a little book. And then it's got like a little prayer card and actually had a tiny little hook for a very small rosary, literally one like this big. <laughs> so that's where I got the idea to put mini satanic rosaries in my um, pocket altars. And what I found is that actually these altars, some version of a pocket shrine has existed for, I don't know if centuries, but like a long time. So you can actually find some version of an of an old pocket shrine like a catholic pocket shrine on on ebay or etsy's like vintage sellers they do sell them and they come a lot of them come in little like metal tins so you pull them out and you pull out a very small um like uh like a little virgin mary or a very small jesus figure or a saint and they have their own little stand and you can prop them up and you can pray to them they maybe have space for a card and then the nicer ones actually are made of wood and then you open them up and they're gorgeous you know handmade stuff so that's 
Um, I wanted something that has like that element, that handmade element, something that was beautiful and something that was meaningful that you could carry around with you. I was unaware that there that pocket that uh, pocket altars were a thing. I did not know this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like like I said, you know, I feel like all religious traditions have some way of carrying your spiritual values with you. Like, well, you don't necessarily need like a thing to do that. It helps to have it. It helps a lot, actually. So I'm sure there's some version of that for other religions, although the Catholic ones are um, the ones I've found. Well, I know that uh, Islam started. I, one big thing about Islam was the uh, repulsion in worshiping items that are made mm-hmm. when it's like that item is not actually holy. That item is just the thing that you made. You should be mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. caring about the religious figures, not the religious figures. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I kind of like that. I dig it. I like having an object that you just enjoy, not necessarily giving the power to that thing but just having mm-hmm. the thing to hold and be like yeah that's me that's that's a thing i like that's a, a mm-hmm. representation of the personality that i've adopted that i've i've manufactured for myself um yeah. i remember seeing this post that said uh um was it a post i think it was a post or a message that said like rubbing stones or whatnot that uh yeah don't don't fall for <laughs> don't fall for buying a stone that you have to rub for power and i'm like oh no I got this rock that I really enjoy because it's a milestone. I don't know if you can see it, oh. but it's got the it's got the measurements of a milestone, and I'm like, ah, oh, I dig this. That's awesome! Literally a milestone. That's pretty cool. Literally a milestone. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I love the uh, the pocket altars, and I'm glad that you mentioned being inspired by Catholic art because a lot of the because uh, what's in your pocket altars is a really gorgeous illustrations of satan and i just think it's amazing and you're right catholic art like if you go into like really the old catholic churches the art is phenomenal you don't have to even worship catholicism you don't have to be a catholic to be able to appreciate how much work was put into these churches Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah exactly like it's it's so funny because i'm very much like obviously I don't I don't fall into that tradition anymore to the point where like actually stepping into a church gives me like a little bit of ick. I like I just like there there's something about it that just feels kind of like gross and a little bit slimy now. Um but even now I still have very fond memories of stepping into churches as a kid. Um so a, a little bit of history like this is part of the reason why I'm specifically a satanist. Um but in um when I Um, My family and I would take yearly trips to Mexico because I'm from Mexico. I was born there. And so we would take trips every summer to visit, um, you know, my grandparents, my aunts and uncles, like everybody is down there. And sometimes we would take trips to other neighboring states. My family is from um, Distrito Federal, now known as Ciudad de Mexico. It's the state of Mexico that's like the central district, uh, the big city. Um, So we would sometimes go to neighboring states or even neighboring cities. And there's this um, amazing town called Tasco. And Tasco is a town very known for its silver mines. Uh, So when the colonialists uh, came over, the like they came over, they took everything. um, They loved the silver mines, of course. So they would take over the town and basically they didn't technically own the people there but 
basically they owned the people there and the people there would work like dogs in the silver mines to get all the silver out and then the um the spanish were like cool thanks and they would take that and bring it back to spain but the indigenous silver uh workers there became very known for their silversmithing so a lot of their stuff in Tasco um, is beautiful. So um, even though the mines are long dried up and they have no more silver in them, the town is still known for its silver artisans. And um, every year we would go back and see these amazing silver pieces that are still made by like families who've been there for generations and silversmithing is like their thing. In fact, like my favorite pieces of silver are probably from Tasco. Um, and right now I have a, um, I have a project that is based around a specific religious necklace that you can only get in like the in a region of Oaxaca. Specifically, it's so Oaxaca is a, a Mexican state, and this silver necklace, um, very similar story. You know, they had silver mines. Uh, colonists, conquistadors came over, and they also have silver artisans down there in the state. They created a necklace that was based on design elements from um, Spanish uh, Spanish Catholic traditions, um, and it's called a Yalalog cross necklace. This is a necklace that is unique to the state of Oaxaca, and it's unique to a town called Yalalog. So <laughs> this necklace is a silver cross, a regular like a, a a cross with even. Um, even sides actually so it doesn't have it doesn't have one long bar in the middle but it actually has it has four holes punched in it so then the bottom three hole the bottom three like prongs of the cross i guess each have a cross to symbolize the tr the holy trinity and then this cross is then on a silver chain and then the silver chain has various design elements sometimes it's just silver beads sometimes it's silver beads separated by little silver crosses and then the main cross centerpiece itself sometimes has its own design elements sometimes it'll have a sacred heart in the middle uh, but my favorite is actually um it has a little heart with wings and the heart with wings is to symbolize um i believe the um the rooster crowing on the morning of oh boy i don't remember if it was jesus's death or if it was jesus's re resurrection i think it was the morning of jesus's resurrection but it's a very fascinating piece and i want to create a necklace that's inspired by it but at the same time not the same thing because i think like if it's a if it's a um if it's a design that is specific to like an indigenous like sort of practice i'm like i don't want to necessarily just steal it and make it profane i'm like that is a community's way of you know growing in their own version of spirituality because spirituality in mexico is a very complicated thing very very complicated um i think i got sidetracked but like i guess my main point was that um i find so much beauty in that ability to tell a story through a piece of jewelry or through a piece of art, it, even if it's a spiritual one and even if it's a religion that I don't necessarily identify with or even love, um, because that spirituality, even, even though it may be a shared religion, every single piece, I think, carries a little bit of the soul of the artist. If that makes any sense. It does. And I don't think you got sidetracked. Mm -hmm. I think that all the story that you told 
is exactly the story that is necessary to build the art, to create the art. Mm-hmm. Because it's not just an artist being like, you know what, I have an idea. It's all of the culture behind the idea that gives the person the passion to create it and have the fortitude to finish it. Because a lot of artists, I know you, we, we're, we're both artists, so there's a lot of projects that you start and you're like, you know what, <laughs> I don't want to finish this thing. Oh, but, God, yeah. <laughs> but there are other things that, that you know, you, you need the passion to be able to finish, to see it all the way through. And I appreciate the fact that you're not just going to be like, yoink, that you're not taking this one idea and then finding mm-hmm. a way to <laughs> to make it satanic. But mm-hmm. you're being inspired by this thing and figuring out your own way to be able to still uh connect your piece with the cultural background of the piece that you appreciate oh yeah for sure and i think like part of that comes from like a lot of the new connections i've made over the past year i've met so many like amazing you know practitioners of all all kinds of like witchcraft and sorcery and all that good stuff and i think the most surprising connections i've made this year are from uh folk catholics They have all the aesthetics of like an evil witch, you know, like darkness and like gothic shit and like wearing like all the rosaries and stuff. But their practices are still technically Catholic because they pray to they pray to and do spells and work with Catholic saints and Jesus and all that stuff. And I remember being like, how can how does that work? And I realized that we actually have a lot more in common than I would have expected. So it's been a real joy getting to know some of these people and seeing their practices and seeing that they even like my work, which is really cool. It's really nice to um, have at least that in common, even if it's like, ah, you know, maybe we're it's more like we've got like two um, we're on opposing teams of a football of a football game, you know, I guess. I just really enjoy anyone being able to appreciate the art artistry of any kind of like you don't have to be a part of that culture you don't have to be a part of that religion and still be like that's cool i like your work that's (laughs) i dig it i think that's how the world should be where you don't have to agree on everything but you can still appreciate what someone has created Mm, definitely if you were to make a pocket santa altar because you know it's, it's december we're thinking about christmas i guess uh, if you celebrate Christmas, then you're thinking about Christmas or uh, uh, the winter solstice, uh, uh, Saturnalia, um, Hanukkah, uh, Kwanzaa, any kind of holiday, any anything that you're doing to celebrate uh, the winter and the end of the year. I'm sure you're thinking about that. But in America, in the U.S., uh, yeah, I guess around the world, Santa's a big thing, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Capitalism. Community. <laughs> Capitalism. <laughs> uh commercialism all the big fun things uh if you were to make a pocket santa altar which santa would you choose and i primarily mean like a maybe a movie santa or a cartoon mm. santa that sort of thing but if you figure it out if you found like a good like drawing of santa that you choose that works as well oh definitely um so i did think about this one um I love the idea of a Santa altar, first of all. Um, if I were to make it in my style, I think I would go like almost like a Norman Rockwell, like Americana sort of deal, because it's like a very warm, like inspiring, um, you know, art, you know, very wholesome. 
Um, but I want to go for a Santa that's just like a tiny bit more regal. So like maybe not like the jolly, like like fluffy Santa, uh, but like Santa who's got like a li- he's a little more regal. You know, he's got like this big, you know, flowing like overcoat. And, you know, his maybe his nose is a little chapped from going door to door with his presence. But he still feels like really warm and inviting. So I would go for a piece that exemplifies like this very noble ideal of Santa. Um Oh my goodness, I would decorate it to feel like the Christmas spirit. So it would probably have like a little bit of tinsel. Maybe there's like a roaring fireplace for like the other icon. Um, Maybe there's like a little scroll in there so you can write your note to Santa. Um, Some jingle bells on a silver chain was like my my biggest idea. Like just a very small chain with like a couple little silver jingle bells. Um, maybe I, I don't think people pray to Santa. Uh, God, I hope not. But <laughs> maybe if you're uh, if there's something you really want on your wish list, like this is what you're doing. You're holding your little jingle bells and you're writing uh, what you want on your note. You're, you're you said you hope no one prays to Santa, right? Yeah. <laughs> is that not what people do? They write letters I mean, to Santa. I mean, like. Praying, I feel like it's, I don't know, is it different from praying to a deity? Oh, God, now I that I think anymore. about it. I didn't think May, they prayed it. The I line is pretty, that, pretty, yeah. Oh, go on. Oh, I was going to, okay, I was going to say, yeah. I did not think that people prayed to Santa until you mentioned it. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> I think it's, I think they do. I think, I think people do pray to Santa on some level. Yeah. <laughs> Prior to Santa, he was St. Nicholas, right? Oh yeah, I don't. Is he a canonized saint? Well, not that that really matters. I don't put a lot of stock into what the Catholic Church says, but sure, sure. Yeah. Oh but, God. But he, no, I'm he, really he, thinking about it. I I didn't really. It, it never crossed my mind until. Oh now. my God, he could be considered like a folk saint at this point. He might as well be a, an icon to be prayed to. <laughs> I mean, that's people. People go to someone dressed up as Santa and they they tell them what they want for Christmas. And it's like, that seems kind of religious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Honestly, that, that actually makes sense now. <laughs> I'm glad you said Norman Rockwell because uh, in your other pocket altars, I do notice that the lighting is very soft. It's not really dramatic mm-hmm. lighting. And I think Norman Rockwell would be a damn good comparison uh having that kind of just i like it that you said warm because i i warm is a better word than soft mm-hmm. very warm lighting very inviting and very just uh feel good lighting nothing mm-hmm. nothing too dramatic and extreme um and i uh have you seen the movie jingle jangle i, I haven't jingle. It's a it's a Netflix movie and it's a uh, it's a Christmas movie and I love uh, a lot of the art in that one just because it's a lot of uh, um, a lot of detail a lot of ornate details uh, even in the costumes just a bunch of lines on everything and it's just gorgeous because it looks like a very classic Christmas card come to life and so when you're describing of how you would decorate the Santa altar that's what i was thinking of that movie is what i was thinking of and uh i highly recommend it if you haven't seen it i highly recommend it okay sure i'll definitely uh check it out now that we're officially in like the the holly jolly season and stuff oh i wait until december to watch any of that shit. i'm not gonna i'm not <laughs> it's not gonna invade first of all 
it's not gonna invade my October. Cause, oh, uh, hell no. Guillermo del Toro made a show uh, called uh, Cabinet of Curiosities. Oh, yeah. They have a Christmas episode. And I was like, nope. <laughs> We're waiting. We're going to wait until until it's actually December. <laughs> Not going to watch that. It's October. No, thank mm-hmm. you. Um, but you're, I don't want, maybe well-known, because your title is Unholy Rosaries. Yeah. Uh, would that be safe to say that that's what you're known for? Yes. Yes. That's the main thing I'm known for is the um, the Satanic Rosaries. When did you, and they are extremely amazing. One of my favorite oh, things you. about your rosaries, and I don't, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing your process mm-hmm. because what's really neat about the rosaries is that there's an element of uh, repetition in jewelry, but it also seems like very spontaneous when you uh, decide where uh, certain gems or certain beads are going to go. And it's just, I, I I always admire art that I don't understand. Not 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 that I don't understand it. It's just that it's not my thing. And so mm-hmm. when I see someone so good at it, I'm like, this is amazing. This is phenomenal. <laughs> um. So I want to start with when did you start making jewelry? Um. So I like I guess I made started making like jewelry in 2019. Like the end of 2018 to 2019 is when I started. Um. So basically what happened is that around that time was like my satanic conversion slash deconversion, more or less. I had already become an atheist by like 2012 and went through like the hardcore of like, I don't believe in anything. Religion is a poison on society, you know, like that thing that a lot of people go through. And I think a lot of people in the satanic community have gone through that. Um, But then we found Satanism. We're like, huh. All right. (laughs) (laughs) I guess. (laughs) I guess. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, So in in 20, like I said, 2018, a couple things happened. One, I got into Ghost really hardcore. And that was when I discovered the band Ghost. And I was like, oh, shit. The aesthetics of worshiping the devil with like the sort of inverted Catholic trope, like that's so cool, that's so edgy, I love that. And then, um, because I was so obsessed with them, I um, I got really into looking at their stuff online. And then um, somebody posted some art in a ghost subreddit, and I'm like, oh, I want to see where like what other art they've posted. And I saw they did a lot of posting on our Satanism on the on the uh satanism subreddit i was like you can do that <laughs> you can just <laughs> you can just have a religion around the devil like i i thought that wasn't a real thing and it is a real thing as it turns out um cool story anyways um i got really into that realized i was a satanist and then by around the that's when like a end of 2018 i was like i'm going to make a rosary but the devil um so you know i bought my first materials at michael's and i practiced and i made my very first rosary which i still have and i still wear um it's a little bit janky but i still love it because it's my first one and that december i decided to make a bunch of legit rosaries for my family members so i was like oh it's cool like i can do both (laughs) so i made I made some for my family members and they loved them. And they were like, if you're really good at this, like maybe we should consider selling them. I'm like, you know, I should, I should sell them. 
I didn't tell them which ones I was going to sell, but I should sell them. <laughs> and around 2019 is when I actually made my first pieces to sell on Etsy. And that's when things started very slowly. They took off, but they did eventually take off. And it's it's been a wild ride since then, I got to say. And I'm it's it's funny that you said well because like first of all uh, I'm you, you said that your first one is kind of janky I mm-hmm. I want to fo- I want to make sure that everyone knows that you have to start and I think what I think uh, Adventure Time said really well you gotta start shit it's it's just know that you're gonna start bad and you're gonna get better as you go. Oh, yeah, exactly. I think it was something like sucking at something is the first step at being kind of good at something. And yeah, that's totally true. And I, I feel that way because I just started like a YouTube channel of teaching people how to draw. And I'm, I'm looking at it. And I'm like, I'm not I'm not that good at uh, <laughs> making videos, <laughs> but I'm going to try and I'm going to keep on working on getting better at it. Oh, it's a learning curve. Like I like I don't know the first thing about video making. I have like. I think exactly two public TikToks on my TikTok account that I put a lot of time and effort into. And I was just like, this is hard. I don't want to do this all the time. <laughs> and it, it is because like I, I have ideas of different like TikTok videos I want to do. But every time I get to it, I'm like, or I don't. I could just not do it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's It's a process. And. I really like the two videos I have. Um, one of them is promoting the satanic coloring book, and then the other one is a very small process video for one of my pieces I made. And while I do like how it turned out, I'm like, that was a lot of that was a lot of effort. I'm very tired. <laughs> I love the idea of taking uh, taking different religious things, re- re- religious attributes or objects, and making them satanic. I really Mm -hmm. dig it because I feel, and this is why I really enjoy the Christmas season, Mm -hmm. is that there's so many different elements of different cultures wrapped up into one to make one like weird holiday. Just the 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 trees, the ornaments, the uh, guy on a a sleigh with reindeers. Mm -hmm. It's it's all bizarre, and I feel like uh, it's one of those holidays that is just a potpourri of weird shit and magic. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I actually, I love that. Ever since I started learning more about, like, how Christianity sort of, like, saw a bunch of pagan traditions and was like, hmm, we gotta compete with the pagans. Yoink! And, like, they had, like, no respect for taking those things. And I was just like, that's actually kind of fun. Like, now I can really celebrate the Christmas tree. I'm like, that is so cool. I love the I love the idea of the Christmas tree, you know, the, the whole Yule log thing. Um, I mean, even like. I don't know, like, I, I think even like the Christmas carol thing, like, comes from various other traditions, like it's it's all over the place. So I was just like, you know, I definitely don't feel bad for taking Christian Christian traditions or Catholic things and making them satanic because I'm like, you guys do it all the time. So why should exactly. you care? <laughs> Don't feel bad because it's. I mean, if they do it, then sure, you you you're you're giving me permission, I guess, if you can mm-hmm. do it. <laughs> um, and I'm, because <laughs> I've been often thinking about doing a <laughs> when out one time when I was doing Hanukkah and lighting the menorah, I was like, man, this would be really easy to make it this into uh, a Baphomet head, 
because you have like the middle candle and then you have the horns. And I'm like, if I can put candles on the horns, that'd be pretty badass. <laughs> that would be awesome. The only thing I have with that is that I'm like, hmm, it would look a little too much like a reindeer. <laughs> if you, it, it could. It, it could. could. <laughs> yeah, you have to be, you have to really make it like this is a goat. This has a goat head. And then like the middle, the middle candle is of course the the torch and stuff. That's pretty cool. I feel like the only way it would really work, because you're right. I think that if you make the candles too much like the horns, it will mm-hmm. be a reindeer. Yes. <laughs> the only way that it can work is you have to dramatically di- uh, make it different between the horns and the candles. Like if the mm-hmm. candles are reds and the, if the candles are red and the horns are gray, that could work. You have to make it clear that they're different. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Experiment a little bit with color and such. Because just as right now, when you described it as being a reindeer, I'm like, oh, shit, you're right. Because I'm not <laughs> just thinking of the visual. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> do you still do uh, legit rosaries? No, I haven't okay. made a legit rosary, I think, in, a, like, probably since 2019. Um, it's because once my shop actually took off and I was starting to make them more, my mom so sweet was like oh you know we're with your dad's work friends and we told them about your shop and we want to show them what you make at that point i was still trying to keep it a secret and i had told my parents that um you know i'm selling jewelry and then just left it at that i wouldn't show them a lot of finished pieces my mom had actually commissioned me to make a couple of legitimate catholic rosaries for her friends at the time so i showed her my shop my real shop because i was like at that time i actually made a fake shop to sell like legit rosaries and that was the one i showed my parents but i was like they're gonna get suspicious if i showed them that shop and it has zero sales <laughs> when they've seen me packaging and making stuff at night and then they'll, they'll be like oh that's weird <laughs> so i i was just like can't hide it forever so fuck it so i sent them the real shop and my dad was like oh that's so cool and my mom didn't say anything for like two weeks (laughs) and then i never got another commission for a legit catholic rosary again and i'm like i'm fine i'm fine with that i don't i don't really mind (laughs) (laughs) um i was looking through your instagram uh come up with all these questions and i would i would love to talk about uh blasphemy blasphemy right blasphemy yeah oh my god how was that because i i saw you've done it a few times right like there there was is it once a year because i feel like i saw two in one year yeah so here's the thing the very first blasphemy happened this may um so i have not been in the vendor circuit ever until that first blasphemy I had never sold anything in person because when I started selling rosaries in 2019, I just did online that first year. And then, of course, in 2020, something happened and we couldn't do in-person events, (laughs) weirdly enough. Plus, I was also like, where the hell am I going to sell these? I can't go in person to the neighborhood craft fair and be like, do you want to buy some Satan? Like, I guess it's not not really the vibe i'm probably not gonna get a lot of sales i'm probably gonna get some angry villagers with torches and pitchforks i I think you can i think you can do it but (laughs) just know that you are gonna have some dicks yeah 
yeah exactly yeah um i'm not i i'm not about that kind of drama so i was like whatever maybe there are like some places where i can sell that i had known about the oddities flea market that happens in la i think a couple times a year and um, they're like a big market because i know they've got locations in um new york too so i was like oh maybe one day one day i will sell sell there but i didn't know anything about that and then lo and behold i think I don't remember how many months out this was in February or March. Um, I get a DM uh, from um, somebody called, I forget if it was Coma Witch. I think it was Coma Witch. And she has been in the vendor circuit for a number of years. Like, well, it's her side hustle. She makes a lot of income from it and she's very seasoned and she's very experienced and she's very well known and well liked by people. So, um, it was all her idea that she wanted to put together this market that was specifically for like the darker side of the oddities circuit because oddities is a very wide encompassing demographic and like just gothic markets are a little more like light if i'm being honest um so she wanted like the goths she wanted the darkness she wanted witches she wanted um you know, like Satanists. She wanted like actual Satanists. She wanted like the 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 underbelly. So she was she was reaching out to a lot of people she admired on Instagram, and she liked my stuff. So she was like, "Hey, we wanted to know if you were interested in doing this in person event. It's our first time ever, um, but you know, let us know if you're interested by this date, and we'll provide you with all the information." And I was just like. Uh, like I had to think about it because I'd never sold my stuff in person before. And I'm like, I've never done one of these things. Oh my God, what do I do? So I thought it over. I talked about it with my partner. I was like, okay, yeah, let's give it a shot and see how it goes. And especially I noticed the kind of people that she was starting to recruit. And I was like, okay, okay, this can work. Like if they generate the kind of traffic that wants to see this stuff, they're going to love my stuff. So, um, you know, May rolled around and, you know, I, oh my God, the process of actually getting my table ready was hilarious because I was just stressing for, I think, like the last two months up to blasphemy. I was just like, oh my God, how am I going to do this? I don't know how to set up a table. What's my display going to look like? How am I going to arrange things? I've never done this before. Like, why would they ask me? But um, finally, I got all my things together and the, um, the event rolls around. And I got to say, this event, like, spoiled me <laughs> for all future, like, vending events because I talked to the, some of the people there and they're like, honestly, we're really, really excited about this because nobody else we've ever sold with has put this amount of time and effort and dedication into making sure we know what's going on, that we know what to do, and that we feel comfortable vending here. Most places... Uh, which what I later later learn <laughs> um, doing my second event ever. Most places are just like, send us an application. And you send your application and you hear nothing for weeks. And then one day an email will just show up and they'll be like, you were accepted, send us $200. And then maybe the night before the event, they'll be like, here's how you sell your stuff. Come. And then you get no other no other communication. This does vary between organizers, but wow, um, the difference between going to Blasphemy and then going to um, the other event that I went to, my very my second one ever, miles away, miles away. Not that it was a bad experience, but I was like, wow, this is different. 
Um, anyways, Blasphemate, I think, is unique because um, Coma Witch, or Senzia, and um, Cody uh, are the organizers, the main organizers, because there are other people working behind the scenes, but they're, like, the main, like, the brains behind the operation. They... Um, they really invest a lot of time in making sure that we feel like a community and that we feel like we can rely on each other. Because while vendors and artists know each other and are willing to help each other out, it has been uh, just a treat to see that they've kind of created almost like a little, a little witchy occult family. And <laughs> we have, uh, we like, we're not as um, anxious about setting up because it's like, oh yeah, someone's got lights, someone's got um, something that you can clamp your table to. Um, I've got information for you about parking. Like it's con like a constant stream of like ways to help each other out. And you know, then we hype each other up um, after the like after blasphemy is over, and we're also constantly talking about ways we can improve. It has been fa fantastic. Um, and in addition to that, they have, um, before blasphemy, they have been having a mixer and a ritual the night before the market. And this, this has been amazing. This has been absolutely amazing for, like I said, creating that sense of community and even like a sense of hype so that when we come in, we're like, just like game on, you know, um, that rich the first one i went to was just spellbinding like not not like <laughs> i mean i know that sounds like a pun but like straight up spellbinding because you know cody's an occult practitioner a lot of people there are occult practitioners so he used a lot of what he like what he studied and his own practices to create a ritual that felt inclusive and meaningful for everybody who's there and yeah i was like oh my god how do i get more of this how do i get into this and even more. So yeah, and then they did it again for this last blasphemy. So this was the second time ever. It was bigger. It was better. Um, fantastic. And yeah, the ritual beforehand was also pretty amazing. I I really enjoy hearing that because I feel like uh, when there are groups that you said that uh, the oddities one is cool. But then you want the other people that are still sh shunned by a lot of organizations, a lot of groups, because there is an anxiety where it's like, I've got this drawing of uh, Satan that I don't want anyone giving me uh, drama about. And you get this like anxiety of like, where can I show this thing and not worry about anyone attacking me? And I like it that uh, this this organization, this uh, uh, blasphemy sounds like the reason why they're so helpful to make sure that there's no anxiety is because they know that anxiety, they know that worry. And so they're trying to show you how comfortable it can be when everyone is just welcoming and just supportive. That's mm -hmm. beautiful. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's been amazing. And I hope to just continue seeing all of these familiar faces for uh, future events that I eventually do. Um, one of your posts said, uh, <laughs> one of your posts on your Instagram said, um, you described how amazing it is to hold silver-plated hematite, and you're like, oh, you have no idea how it feels to be in your hands, this thing. <laughs> I would like to find out. I would like to hear you <laughs> describe it. <laughs> okay, sure. Um, it's probably one of my favorite beads to work with right now. 
uh, which is why like I just can't get over it every time I hold it I'm like oh my god it's so wonderful um hematite's like a heavy sort of like metallic bead um and so a, a lot of places will actually plate it with um you know, uh, like even there's gold plated hematite, which I also make stuff with. But silver is probably my favorite because silver has got this wonderful, like cool softness to it. So it feels heavy and cold, but also like soft and like smooth in your hands. So it's got this wonderful feeling and definitely just like holding them in your hands and just wrapping them around your hands. It feels like amazing. It, like you like stone feels great i love stone glass like good quality glass is really nice but that is probably my favorite because of like the weight and feel of the beads um then yeah you talked about how much you love the feeling of beads because uh what is the process and i mentioned this earlier that i was going to ask you about oh yeah because of how in how, how much i'm amazed at the how you're able to do repetition, but also make it seem spontaneous and it's gorgeous. Uh, what is your process of making a rosary? Um, it depends, really. Um, so say I'm making like a piece just for the shop. Um, if I'm feeling particularly inspired, like sometimes like an idea will just pop into my head and I'll be like, oh, hell yeah, this is exactly what I'm going to make. These are the beads are gonna, I'm going to use. This is the pendant I'm using. Um, sometimes it all comes together and I have all the materials so then I can just work nonstop. Um, sometimes I'm making a commission for a client um, because I, I do do a lot of commission work right now and um, that can be a lengthy process because some people come in with a very good idea of what they want and some people are like you know this is the icon I love but I don't really know what beads go well with this I was wondering if you could help me out with that and that's also something I I do help out with so I can help them select beads I'll uh, I'll ask them what colors do you like what stones do you like and I do a little searching online I give them photos I give them prices um if I'm like making something just for the shop and I like I want to be inspired and I want to make a unique piece sometimes I'll even look online at Catholic rosaries and I'll look um I'll be like okay let's see what sells well for like red glass want to see like especially like I want to play a lot with like shape and color and light um there's this interesting idea when I work with beads and I I try to rid myself of this idea because I realize um how silly it can be I have this idea that like what I make is not like real jewelry making and I know that sounds silly but, yes um, it, it, I want to make that clear that you're it's silly to say that about your jewelry your amazing jewelry it is jewelry <laughs> Yeah, so I have this idea because I'm like, oh, I'm just buying stuff that's already made and I put it together. But I like I have to like rid myself of that idea and I'm doing a better job of it now because I'm like, well, not everybody has this these ideas to put these colors with these pendants or to use these materials or to use these bead styles maybe you're using flex wire cords maybe you're using the original chain style um it, like beadwork is actually like real jewelry designing because you have to understand how a piece flows and how things go together um so let's say let's take one of my favorite pieces recently um it is made with red check glass beads 
because we're actually kind of on the more expensive sides for beads. And they have these wonderful little facets in them. So while they almost look like cubes, they almost look like square little beads, they actually have cut facets on the side. So they're almost like beveled edges. And then the tops of the beads have these little like, almost like star-shaped caps that are like molded into the beads. And um, I don't know how they made them, but they have like this sort of like dusty, almost metallic coloring on the top. So it gives the beads a very antique like feel to them. They are gorgeous beads. And I made a beautiful necklace with them. I paired them with a red, um, a red enamel um, inverted cross. And because it was such a big cross, I had to use a bigger connector piece. So I chose a nice chunky like pentagram to connect it to. Um, that was one of my favorite pieces that I made. I actually finished it at Blasphemy on the second day because I didn't have time to make it beforehand. And I was like, oh, I just want somebody to see this. I want somebody to see this in person. And while it didn't sell at the market, um, when I put it up online, it sold um, fairly quickly. And that's just kind of like what I think about is just like, how can I create like a cohesive piece, a piece that goes together well? And I think it's, absolutely amazing uh the colors you choose the uh beat the types of beads you choose i love whenever i see any kind of post on instagram it's uh it's inspiring it really is i love looking through your artwork and seeing what you're coming up with and even though we haven't it's been a while since we've actually talked mm -hmm. i have definitely stalked and lurked in your social <laughs> media to see what's going on um have you ever interacted with like someone to because so, like you do have a lot of really cool um baphomet objects on like i, I don't even know the different i don't know the terminology in jewelry but mm -hmm. the at the end of your rosaries there's a mm -hmm. lot of really cool uh baphomet stuff uh have you specifically found people to sculpt that or what's how how, how do you find such really cool items Oh my God, I wish. Um, I would love to make my own pieces someday. Um, actually, that's something I'm not see, like seriously researching that right now, but I am like sort of like doing a little bit of Google searching and taking some of the tips that I've gotten from artists that actually like do like, like silversmithing or pewter smithing. And that's the kind of stuff I'm really into. I have so many ideas for that, but I can't do that just yet. So what I do is I search on eBay and I search, well, now Amazon has actually taken up a lot of the manufacturers that used to sell on eBay, but that's another, that's another story. There are actually quite a few manufacturers of like occult style, like pendants and stuff. So I do, um, I do a lot of searching in, in those areas and sometimes I'll find really, really nice pieces. Um, I try to keep the price points fairly like, manageable because when you do everything by hand the price goes up it's just how it is unfortunately i would love to make my pieces more accessible which is why i'm experimenting with littler things like earrings and chokers and bracelets because the um the necklaces are the big sellers but i want people to be able to if they can't afford a necklace maybe get a choker you know something like that just a thought if you do the 3d printing to make a mold then you can do resin and that could be a thing Resin is a good idea. Um, I always I always wonder about the longevity of resin um, when fair. it's paired with metallic findings. So yeah. like jump rings, um, everything I use is stainless steel. So stainless steel is obviously very hard. Resin is 
my guess not as hard as stainless steel. While I love resin, um, it's probably not the material I'm going to choose for a metal jewelry piece. That is the stuff I usually work with. Um, but I like the idea of maybe using the stuff that is available for resin kits. So they make a lot of silicone molds online and stuff. So and they also sell silicone mold kits so that you can make your own silicone molds. I have been wondering about the possibility of using silver clay to possibly make some of my own pendants or connector pieces, but silver clay is a is a rough thing to start with. Um, as much as I love the medium, I'm like, oh, like I need a kiln or a butane torch, and I don't really, I don't want to set my balcony on fire. <laughs> no, that's a fair, that's a fair worry. <laughs> Uh, you also have amazing art in your Instagram. Uh, you make uh, gorgeous stickers. You oh, make you. gorgeous images. And when I was scrolling through it, I did see the uh, I did see uh, a, an apple with a snake around it. It said, "Take a bite." I'm like, that looks oh, so yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I like that one. I haven't I haven't remade those stickers in a while, but yeah, I'm, everything I make right now is fairly satanic inspired, of course. I love it that because like a lot of times when people draw snakes, the snakes are really thin. So I, I like seeing a chunky snake. It just it was really cool to see. And I'm like, oh, I want to draw some thick snakes. Yeah, yeah. Snakes, you know, I think a lot of people think of like snakes as like this thin, wiggly, wispy thing. Um, that's not the case for all snakes. Like, sure, yeah. you know, I, I happen to know a lot about snakes because I'm obsessed with them. I love them. I have two of my own. They're lovely animals. And my main boy is a chonky ball python. His name is Toffee. And I just I was just so inspired by, you know, like the way his coils move when he's like curled up or maybe when he's in motion. So I'm like, you know, he needs a lot of overlap and, you know, you, you need to feel like a snake has weight. So that's that's how I tend to try to draw my snakes. I just never really thought about it like that. And it, it has changed. It's definitely something that I'm going to consider when drawing a snake. Oh, yeah. I oh, yeah. Appreciate that, that realization that you gave me of like, ah, oh, damn, my my snakes could be thicker. Mm -hmm. um, so then that brings me to this question of uh, of the apple being like, you know, having a snake around an apple. That's the whole, uh, what was it, the forbidden fruit, the uh, yeah. original sin of getting the mm -hmm. apple in Eden. If the Tree of Knowledge were a movie, what movie would keep Adam and Eve away from it? Because, you know, in the garden, God's like, don't eat, you know, you can eat everything else, but except for that fruit, don't eat that fruit. And it's like, <laughs> why not that fruit? But if you put, if you made it a movie, it's like, what movie would make it so that there's no temptation? Oh, man. Um, for you. I had, <laughs> so I had a couple of answers because I'm like, one movie I actually haven't seen, but I want to see. And I feel like this movie just fit the prompt perfectly. Um, and then I have the other one is a movie I have seen and also fits the prompt. Not as perfectly, but pretty good. Um, the first one is definitely Alejandro Hodorowsky's The Holy Mountain. Um, it is a cult film classic. It is how to describe what it's about. If you're going plot wise, it's about an alchemist who takes um, seven irredeemable strangers and a Christ like figure up to a mountain to discover the um, secrets of immortality. Um, but that is like the barest summary of what's going on in that movie, because good fucking God is there stuff going on in that movie. It is an absurdist art film from the 70s. 
So, you know, there's a guy who poops into a receptacle and then the alchemist turns it into gold. And then he's like, <laughs> you are literal shit and I can turn you into gold. And the guy is like, cool. Also, he's the Jesus figure of this movie. And there's also a part where he goes to sleep and some nuns cast him in in like plaster and then he wakes up and there's all of these jesuses that look exactly like him and he's like oh god and then they sell the jesuses and then there's a scene where he eats jesus's face and it's well weird and then he sends it up into the heavens on a balloon and you're like well what am i watching (laughs) um i think adam and eve would see that and be like put it back (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I'm very tempted to watch this. No, I like that's why I want to see it is because it's like it's heavy on the symbolism about like what religion is, what religion does to culture, what it does to the human experience, to the human spirit. It's got a lot, got a lot of like occult references. It's got references to the planets, um, uh, the planets as symbolized in astrology, as symbolized in Greek, you know, in Greek and Roman like traditions. It's got like tarot card symbolism. It's got all sorts of wonderful, trippy, psychedelic stuff. It's got a lot of commentary on society in general. Um, I do know that there's a lizard in a costume at some point, and I'm like, that's great. Um, and the, the guy's a brilliant, um, brilliant director, and this specific work has influenced so many other filmmakers and artists over the years because it's so, it's so profound and so absurd and so interesting and powerful in many, many ways. What? would be your words of advice to anyone who is interested in making jewelry uh, based in a community or a subject that they feel would be shunned or that they'd be attacked that, that people would be like oh you shouldn't do that thing um just make it like just make it anyways because um even if you don't end up like making something for other people or to sell like you don't lose anything by just making something personal. You know, I've seen so many like pieces on our Satanism of people who make rosaries for themselves. And I love seeing those pieces because, you know, there's like, you see a little bit of like what each person's aesthetic is. Um, Sometimes they follow the exact rosary like structure because rosaries have a very specific structure of, you know, of five decades for what would they call our father beads and then there's the center prayer chain like there's a whole there's a whole system to creating a quote-unquote real rosary and then some people like decide to break the mold they'll make different decades um sometimes they'll add an extra decade um because maybe that number has more meaning to them um sometimes it's all in one color sometimes it's all of the colors it's really cool it, it like Especially, like, in satanic circles, like, I think, like, the piece of jewelry has a lot of meaning because for us, the aesthetic is very important. So having a piece of jewelry that means something to you and also looks cool as hell is, like, part of it, you know? So um, 
definitely in our circles, we happen to have the jewelry that makes people go like, ugh. Like, I've, I've worn my rosaries in public a couple of times, and the only time I really get that reaction is where I'm wearing the classic inverted cross with, like, the pentagram as the connector. And people are like, ugh, and then they just kind of, like, leave. <laughs> Thankfully, I haven't had, like, a real, like, a, a real, like, altercation with everybody, and I'm very grateful for that. Um, and I know that probably isn't the case for everybody. Some people might live in a place where people are very vocal about that and do not mind giving get, like giving you exactly what they think about that devil jewelry you're wearing. And so, like, even so, like I say, just make it for yourself. Like, you don't owe anything for, to anybody because it's yours. So like, and plus, you know, there's something so spiritual about your hands touching every part of the thing you made and taking part in that act of creation. Because once you take a bunch of beads and some wire and then you actually turn it into something beautiful, like that's, that's fantastic, you know? <laughs>